you this morning. We are starting our spring sermon series that I've uh, actually been planning for quite a while now. Uh, we'll be looking at the uh, book of 1 Samuel predominantly called A Sinner After God's Own Heart, um, which is really going to be focused on the life of David, but we're going to be getting into his origin story as well. And if you're familiar at all with the life of David, you know that there's this really interesting contradiction right? Because uh, when God raises David up to be the leader of his people, he will use this language saying, I have found a man after my own heart. And what's interesting, of course, is that it's the surprising story. David is the smaller, weaker, uh, younger person that is not the one that you would expect. But then the story goes on, as we will find as we get into it, and that David is this wonderful leader, he's a wonderful person, but then the story will unfold that he's also quite the sinner. He's one who sins not just once, but repeatedly in ways that are absolutely catastrophic for his family and for the kingdom. And so we have this interesting contradiction that God tends to raise up sinners to lead his people, right? So we have a sinner after God's own heart. And friends, I wanted to um, bring this to you. Again, I was preparing this really several weeks ago. Uh, Early January is when, you know, we sort of settled on this series. And as it's been our practice for the last couple of years, time we think we have a sermon series picked out, the world tends to fall apart a little bit more from the time we pick the sermon series to the time that it is now, right? And so our world continues to fall apart if you're not aware. The world is falling apart. You know, we, they, I was just uh, reading that, you know, we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to food prices this fall because apparently 30% of the world's grain is produced in Ukraine and Russia. So we might all be hungry. We'll, we'll find out, right? Or, and certainly, actually, they're saying uh, that, you know, prices will be extraordinary, but then they're actually concerned that in parts of the world, such as Africa, there will be uh, widespread hunger and malnutrition, potentially. So the world continues to fall apart. And friends, as I've thought about it, and, you know, there's, there's obviously jokes that, um, you know, all of us are transitioning from being virus experts to being, you know, foreign policy, national security experts. So I come to you this morning as a national security expert. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I will say that, you know, as I've reflected on the state that we find ourselves in as, as a, a community here in Phoenixville and then nationally and then globally to some extent... One of the trends that I've observed both inside the church but then also in our broader world is that there there seems to be uh, a lack of leadership at every level. That's sort of one of the trends that I'm seeing, and and you're welcome to tell me I'm wrong about that, but that's one of the trends that I'm seeing. You know, for example, in the church, we have, you know, leader after leader kind of being removed from office right? That's happening all over the place. And we have all kinds of, um, you know, COVID has caused all kinds of people to fall away from the church, or it's maybe not caused, but it's prompted it in some sort of fashion. So the church is in absolute disrepair. And then nationally, it's my sense at least that nationally over uh, the past really several years, spanning multiple administrations that we've 
we've been very disunified as a nation, and in part, that's resultant from kind of an absence of leadership, right? And then globally, some folks are saying at least, and again, you're welcome to tell me I'm wrong about this, and I'm learning every day, so, but, but globally, it seems like there is a lack of leadership uh, that's, that's prompting these major shifts in the way that the world is, is working. And so, uh, from my end, what I'm interested in, right, is I'm interested in you and I, every, every person here, uh, kids included, asking the question, how is God calling me to exercise leadership in the circles that I have been placed in, Right? And, and I want to talk specifically to you kids, right, especially kids that are here this morning. One of the, one of the th- areas that I see this in is I look at my children and I look at uh, the friends that my kids have and I say there is a profound need for good leadership amongst our kids, right? And, and the kids are experiencing this every bit as much as our world, as our churches, as our nation is experiencing it, that what happens is if if people who are following God's own heart don't lead, what happens is other folks will lead, right? Someone always leads. Anytime you have a group together, you will always have a leader. The question is, will the leader be leading towards God's purposes and plans or away from them? And so, friends, my, my mission here this morning is to plead with you to plead with you to ask the question, how is God calling me to lead, to exercise leadership in the circles that I am placed in, right? In your families, in your work, in your church, in your schools, in your friends, right? If we don't do it, right? And I'm talking right here in Phoenixville, if we don't do it, other folks will, right? Which is what's been happening and, and the world is going to continue to fall apart. And, and friends, like, you know, I don't have a lot of influence over Vladimir Putin, as far as I'm aware. I don't think he podcasts us. I don't even know if you can podcast Ironworks from Russia anymore. You probably need a VPN. Um, anyway, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll make sure that our podcast is, like, on their servers in case he wants to check it out. I, I know some, some people that can make that happen. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have a lot of influence over him, obviously, and, and, and probably you don't as well. But you do have friends, right? You do have families. You do have neighbors, right? And, and the message of this book that is so in, li- in life-giving to me is that God calls sinners in particular, sinners who have certain things that are true about them, to exercise leadership in his world. This book, uh, 1 Samuel, uh, follows directly after a book called Judges, right? And in Judges, what's the, what's the main theme of Judges, right? That there's no leadership, that everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And it's kind of where I feel like we find ourselves here uh, in our current context. And so I'm excited to get into it with you this morning And what we're going to find, of course, is that God does choose to work through sinful people and in circumstances permeated with brokenness. That's where he chooses to work. And my goal is that you will begin to ask the question, how is he calling me? How is he raising up me? How how does he want to be at work in me, in my own 
situation that's sinful and with my issues that are also sinful, how is he calling me to be a person, a man or woman after his own heart? Now, uh, as we get into this passage that's before us this morning, uh, I absolutely love I love this story. I love this passage. Uh, I love some of the things that it brings out. The passage brings us to a situation that I can tell you from my own pastor experience is among the hardest that I've had to walk with some of you through, right? If, if any of you have experienced infertility, right, you know that there is something in, in particularly painful about that experience, right? If, if you've ever known someone who's, who's really struggled with infertility and who really wants a child and is unable to physically make that happen, right? Or, or perhaps someone who wants to be married and, is, and is not, that's not happening either, it's a similar situation, you know that that is among the most painful things uh, that a person can experience. So that's where Hannah finds herself only, only, she has this thing called polygamy, right? Now... Polygamy is one of the favorite things to ask pastors about, okay? So that's what y'all, all y'all are thinking, like, Darren, what is the deal with polygamy, right? Now, um, we have this person named Sam that you're able to ask about. <laughs> no, I can't get off that easy. I don't, I don't preach very much anymore, so I feel like I need to earn my salary when I do. So what's the deal with polygamy, right? What's the deal with it? And this, it's an interesting question because Hannah is not simply dealing with infertility. She has a colleague, another wife, who is not infertile but has all these kids and who taunts her incessantly for this, right? And friends, I, you know, want to help you appreciate that as painful as infertility is in our day, right? Those of you who have experienced it or, or know folks who have, you know how it's painful. The sense that I get from the Old Testament, right, is, is that if it's this painful today, in the Old Testament, it was probably about here, right? That it was so absolutely central to the identity of a woman, right? In, in ways that it really seems like, in, in all of my reading of, of the Old Testament in particular, in ways that it's hard to even appreciate in its fullness in our day and age, it was so absolutely central. And you can kind of get a sense of it and how desperate Hannah is, right? So she's here and, you know, in getting, I'll answer the thing about polygamy. So here she is, she's married to She's married to this man, and then this man has another wife, and he's taunting her. And the question is, well, you know, what's going on with polygamy, and why was that happening? And, you know, it's interesting. The scriptures kind of answer to that, certainly in our passage and uh, in, in most of the rest of the Old Testament, is that, you know, polygamy was decidedly unpleasant, right? It was, you know, it was decidedly unpleasant, and uh, Jesus actually addresses, I think, this in Gospel of Matthew, if you remember, folks come to him and they say, you know, Jesus, why did Moses tell us to send our wives away with a certificate of divorce? You guys remember that? He says, you know, these people come to him and they, they're going to trap him. They're like, is it right to divorce or not? And he said, no, it's not right to divorce. It's wrong. God hates divorce. And then they say, well, why did he command us to send her away with a certificate of divorce? And what does he say? He says, because of your hardness of hearts, right, uh, Moses 
Moses regulated this. He regulated it to minimize the damage that it would cause. But it was not this way from the beginning. And truly, that's the same answer with polygamy in that there's a lot of things that happen in life that God tolerates, but that he does not design. Right? There are things in the scriptures, things in our lives, things in our world that God tolerates and even regulates to some extent, right? such as divorce. He regulates it. He, he gave provisions for protecting and limiting the damage that would be done to the victims of it, but he never approved of it. He never, he never said it was okay. Right? He always hated it. And in the same way, God has designed one man and one woman to uh, experience an uncommon union, but in the scriptures, there's all kinds of brokenness. And friends, I want to tell you, in your lives and marriages, there's all kinds of brokenness, right? Hopefully not this kind, right? Our, our society has moved away from this. Hopefully not this kind, but there's other forms of brokenness, right? And that's actually the point here. The point is, is that we live in circumstances, we live in situations that are permeated by brokenness and sinfulness. That's, that's actually the point. It's where our families exist. And the point of this passage is it is in those circumstances, in those situations, in which God chooses to raise up leaders for this world. That's the whole point. Right, here's Hannah, and she's being taunted by her husband's lover on every time they go to worship. Her, his, her husband's lover decides to rub it in, rub her humiliation into her even more every single time. But it's in that circumstance that God decides to work. Friends, and that is the point, right, that uh, the first thing we see here is that God is at work in sinful circumstances. That, you know, the whole thing about polygamy, that, that's actually the point, that God is at work in sinful circumstances, in sinful people to accomplish his purposes, right? Um, infertility, cruelty, brokenness, broken family, not really an ideal marriage, uh, in all of those things is where God is at work. Now, the question is, right, the question is, how do you respond when you experience some of the brokenness of this world, right? You have your own situations, right? I don't think any of you are dealing with polygamy and a taunting, you know, colleague in your marriage, right? But you have other brokenness, I'm sure, right? You have other problems. You have other relationships in your life that are permeated with with challenges that you face. The question is, how do you respond to those, right? Well, we have this, we have this example here in, in Hannah that is so interesting to me. This is what she does, right? She takes all of her grief, all of her bitterness, and it kind of looks like she decides to make a deal with God, right? That's what, that's what it looks like. It kind of looks like she says, God, I'm gonna make you a deal you can't refuse, right? You, you hear my prayer, give me a son, and I'll give them back to you. That's what it kind of looks like, because that's what's going on. What is going on here, right? What, what is Hannah doing, and how does that instruct for how you and I today ought to respond to the kinds of brokenness that we feel? What kind of leadership is God calling us to exercise in our spheres of influence in the midst of a 
profoundly broken world and profoundly broken lives, how, what kind of leadership is he calling us to exercise? And what can we see from Hannah here? Well, it looks like Hannah is basically making a deal with God, but I don't think that that's what's actually going on, okay? I don't think that's what's going on. Um, a couple of points about this that's interesting. Uh, the first point is that the author goes to uh, some extent, like you'll see, for example, in verse 6 of, of chapter 1, to point out the fact that it was God who was ultimately in control of things, right? You'll see that repeated throughout the narrative, that the Lord had closed her womb, right? That, that Hannah's situation was not the result of her rival. It was not the result of random biological forces. It was the result of the Lord's choice and the Lord's decision. And that can sound brutally hard at first, but I'll tell you that if God isn't in control of these things, if he's not in control of the womb, if he's not in control of your lives, if he's not in control of your circumstances, then why in the world might you pray to him like Hannah did? Because he has no control. But if he is in control, then it provides all the reason to follow in her footsteps and to go before him with a certain kind of prayer. Like, we're going to try to do this Wednesday, by the way. Right? So what's going on here? Is she making a deal? What's happening? Well, I don't think it's a deal. And here's, here's what I'll tell you uh, why. I'll give you a couple of uh, points that we see about it. You see, I think what Hannah is uh, foreshadowing for us is she's foreshadowing the faith that is described in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you, you, you could read that uh, on your own time, perhaps this Sunday. You can, you can read about all of the times God moved in men, women, and children to produce a response of profound faith. And faith is interesting because, you know, faith is really the opposite of control, right? If, if Hannah was trying to make a deal, when you make a deal with someone, what you're doing is attempting to exercise control, right? So, you know, when you're, when you're negotiating a sale, for example, or you're negotiating a, you know, a conflict or something, what you're trying to do is negotiate in such a way that, that you control the outcome. And faith is really the giving up of control, right? When you have faith, what you're doing is you're saying to God, God, I'm going to put my, my future in your hands, and I'm going to trust you for the result, right? So I don't think that Hannah was making a deal. And what's interesting is that, you know, the thing that she wanted most desperately, she gives back to the Lord, right? She gives back her son. And it's interesting, um, Hebrews 11:6. I'll just quote from you. It says this, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. See, I think what Hannah was doing was she was believing that God is a God of reward. God is a God who hears and chooses to act in favor because of who he is. And friends, as we consider this, you know, I think this is the first principle uh, that really comes out in this book of, you know, what does it look like to be a person after God's own heart, right? What does that look like? Does it look like you have it all together? Does it look like you don't make mistakes? Does it look like that you never blow it big time like David will do repeatedly? What does it look like? Answer, first thing it looks like, you put the thing that you value most into God's hands. That is what Hannah's doing, isn't it? She takes the thing that she wants 
more than anything in the world. And she says, the Lord, he will be yours. I will, I will give him to you, right? That's what she does. Faith is, faith is always giving up control, right? Faith is always letting go of, of micromanaging the thing that you're concerned about. Right? It's always what it entails, and that's what Hannah models for us here. And friends, the place that that does work itself out in, the place where that starts, if you want to do this, if you're interested in doing this, where do you start? Answer, you start on your face before God in prayer like Hannah did. And friends, I want to tell you, that's, you know, as we, you know, as we have seen God build this church, right? I, you know, again, I lecture you all the time, get used to it. Right? The way that he's done that is we have gone before him in prayer together corporately, which I would like for you to come this Wednesday at 7 p.m. We do have child care and coffee. Right? We'd like you to come and to join us in saying, God, we're going to give up control of our future and ask you to do it. Right? And I'll tell you, it's interesting. You know, One of the ways that you can always tell that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life or in the life of another person is, right? What's one of the hallmarks of the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it's people being okay without having to control everything, right? And I want to ask you, where are you at, right? What, what's your equivalent of, of Hannah's infertility? What is your equivalent this morning, right? What is that thing that if you could have one thing, if you could, if you could go before God at the temple and say, God, if you would just do this one thing, right? What is that one thing for you this morning, I wonder? What do, you, what do you long for more than anything this morning, right? First thing is, are you going before God like Hannah did? Secondly, are you willing to give up control? Are you willing to entrust yourself? It's interesting, the scripture speaks of the Lord Jesus. It says uh, in 1 Peter 2, he says, um, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, right? So what, what can you let go of? Where is God calling you? Where is he calling you to seek him in prayer and to let go of control, right? It's the response of faith. Hannah, in response to the brokenness, in response to the pain, in response to this really cruel woman, right? In response to this bad situation of marriage, in response to her infertility, in response to all these things, she goes on her face before God, and she relinquishes control, and God responds with a resounding, yes, I will hear you. And it's interesting because, you know, I don't think that Hannah knew it at the time, but I wondered if, you, if any of you noticed any similarities between uh, Hannah's prayer in uh, chapter 2 and another woman's prayer in Scripture. Anyone notice these similarities, right? Right, there, there's uh, my heart exalts in the Lord, right? Who, who else kind of responds to a conception this way? Anyone know? Right, it's the Virgin Mary, right? As our Catholic brothers and sisters would say, the Holy Mother, right? What, so what's happening in Hannah in this story is far bigger than she ever imagined, right? It's far greater than she could ever conceive of because what's happening is she is foreshadowing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
right? What is Hannah doing? She thinks about like, oh, I've got this bad marriage. I've got this bad wife-in-law, however you say it. How, how do people say that anyway? <laughs> no idea, right? This bad wife-in-law, you know. <laughs> I don't know how that even works, right? I've got this terrible situation. I have no sons, all this stuff. And meanwhile, does she even appreciate that God is foreshadowing the coming of his son through her? Right? She is foreshadowing. She is presented as a picture, actually, of God himself, where God willingly gives his son for his purposes, right? That's what's happening in her life, right? She doesn't even, she doesn't even know this faintest thing, and right? And through Samuel will come David, and through David will ultimately come the one who sits on the throne and judges justly. But, of course, when, when Jesus comes, uh, he will have his own experience of bitterness, his own experience uh, of brokenness, and uh, he will have to live out his own faith in ways that put all of this, um, that, that, that put all of this to look like small potatoes comparatively. So where are we? Well, friends, uh, where we are is uh, God is giving us our circumstances, he's giving us these situations, and he's calling us to turn to him in faith in such a way that we give up control. And he, he comes to work in response to those things in ways that are far beyond what we're able to appreciate or understand. And in Hannah's case, right, he foreshadows the coming of his own son. Right, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth uh, and God has to willingly send him to a death sentence to, to a sentence of suffering, to a sentence of pain, to a sentence where he would drink deeply the brokenness of this world. And he does so in order to prepare this feast for you, in order to assure you that he has loved you with an everlasting love, that he is for you even though uh, you drink deeply of brokenness yourself, even though you have pain upon pain at times. And he's calling us to be people after his own heart, to, and to respond in this kind of faith, to lay down control, and to seek him all the days of our lives. So can we do that together? Can we, can we war against the craziness of this world by seeking to show leadership? And I want to challenge the kids especially. Can you kids consider what it looks like to do that? Can you consider how is it that God is calling me to say, you know what, I don't want to just let the world go to hell the way it is, I want to stand up. I want to, to, though I'm filled with my own failures and brokenness, I want to be a person after God's own heart. And I want to respond in faith and I want to influence others to do the same. I would love to see that happen in our town. I would love to see that happen in our families. I would love to see that happen in Phoenixville schools. Love to see that happen in our youth group. Would love to see God renew our world through us. I believe that he can do that through, through us together. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would raise us up uh, to show leadership in uh, the places that you have placed us. Oh God, I pray that you would give us grace to let go of control. Lord, I pray for each one here today and where they are wrestling with their own version of, of Hannah's infertility, like their own source of profound pain uh, and regret and sadness. God, would you produce in us 
a, a faith similar to Hannah's. Would you give us grace to lay it down at your altar? Would you give us grace to let go? Would you uh, move us to prayer and away from cynicism? Would you renew in us an intercession uh, like this? And would you hear our prayers? Through Christ our Lord, we pray. 